I like practical sobriety. I like the kind of sobriety that's very black and white. It doesn't require a lot of uh, pomp and circumstance. And so I happen to find a sponsor who is about practical sobriety. It's not what I think. It's not what I say. It's what I do. And that's all he focused on is what am I doing? And where's my head in relation to my feet? And where's my, where are my feet and head in relation to God? Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Matt Buhay, ladies and gents, boys and girls, that was the voice of Mr. Pete F. that you heard at the beginning of this episode, this being episode number 165, and you will be hearing so much more from him in just a moment. But first things first, yes, by the way, you did hear me say, Mabuhay on the beginning of this, and I will give you more background on that in just a moment. But first things first, this episode right here, right now, that you have your little ears bent to, is brought to you by Tanya and Kathy and Jennifer and Misha and Laura and Anonymous. What, you ask, did Tanya and Kathy and Jennifer, and Misha, and Laura, and Mr. or Ms. Anonymous, do you say, well, they went to our website, SoberSpeak.com, and clicked on the little yellow donate tab and made a contribution. Thank you so much, Tanya, and Kathy, and Jennifer, and Misha, and Laura, and Anonymous. This episode is coming right out to you We're going to let the other folks listen in as per normal, but this episode's coming right out to you all. So you heard me say at the beginning of this ep, Mabuhay. And the reason I'm saying that is because, in fact, if you are a, a Filipino and you're listening in on this, you probably will recognize that particular word. And this comes from Angela. Angela wrote in and she says, John, I would love it if you would say Mabuhay. By the way, I hope I am pronouncing that in the correct manner. Uh, there's a very good chance that I am not. But nonetheless, uh, it's spelled M-A-B-U-H-A-Y. If you could say Mabuhay in one of your podcast greetings, uh, I would absolutely love it. It is a common greeting in the Philippines, like saying aloha or hola. The literal, more, the literal meaning is to, quote, live, unquote, or to live, 
which I think is appropriate for sober life. I think that's appropriate as well, Miss Angela, to live and or to live. She says, thanks for all you do, Angela H., a Filipino-American from Long Island, New York. So for any of you that understand a Filipino, a Filipinese, how would you say that? <laughs> Filipinese, I doubt very seriously. <laughs> <laughs> that is accurate, but nonetheless, uh, <laughs> oh, I crack myself up sometimes. Uh, Angela, thank you for writing in. And I do want to tell you, I'm in kind of a, a zip de dee doo dah mood today. In fact, I literally thought about singing zip de dee doo dah zip de dee day as I started this episode. But you know, I know, I realize that... Not everyone who comes in to listen to the podcast is in a good mood, and sometimes when somebody else is in a good mood, it is just absolutely sickening. Now, I want to tell you, I'm not always in a good mood, right? I am grumpy. Uh, I get a mad mood. I get depression the whole nine yards. But today, this day in particular, I just happen to be in a, oh, just a very pleasant mood. And you know, I know the reason why. I, I could tell you. And that is because today... Already what I've done is uh, did my little prayer and meditation, and then I went over to a step study, which my friend David G. has put together, and we uh, went through the first week of that step study. It goes 14 or 15 weeks, something like that, and by the time you're done with it, you have worked through the steps with a, uh, a like-minded group of individuals, and it's just absolutely fantastic. So I did that. And then I came back and I was able to record an episode of Sober Speak, uh, which you guys are going to get to hear very soon. And I absolutely loved it. It was fantastic. And then, and now I am here and I'm talking to you all, youans, and I'm just excited about that. I've been praying about you guys this week, thinking about you guys. So nonetheless, here I am and uh, mabuhe to all of you. Let me go ahead and read a review, is that how you call it? Yeah, a review, I think that's what you say, that we got on Apple iTunes. And JD posted on Apple Podcast. He says, the title of this is Meeting Between Meetings Taken on a Whole New Meaning. And then he posts and he says, uh, I've been listening to John M's Sober Speak podcast on a regular basis since my journey began in July, uh, journey and sobriety began in July of 2019. In the very beginning, I was fortunate enough to have my choice of a variety of daily meetings. I use Sober Speak as a quote, buffer unquote, to listen to in my headphones while at work, doing chores around the house, long drives, etc. Now that the pandemic has taken its toll on my regular meeting schedule, I found myself relying upon only four to five meetings, four to five weekly meetings. I have been so thankful that John M. has kept the episodes fresh and current. I am able to make it a few days between meetings without getting, quote, squarely. I understand that, JD, unquote. But I enjoy plugging into Sober Speak whenever I 
pleased to stay connected with my program of recovery. JD in St. Augustine, Florida. Well, JD in St. Augustine, Florida, thank you so much for po- posting that in uh, on uh, uh, Apple iTunes. We do appreciate it. And as I always say, thank you so much. Uh, for allowing me to be part of your journey, and I love that you're part of mine as well. I, John M., will be the host, not the host, I will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. You can't see it, but I'm doing a little namaste hands and kind of bending forward here. So take a seat around this virtual table, if you will, and let's get started. It is so good to be here with you, my tribe and my people. Keep in mind that we have indeed redesigned the website and we actually have a new logo now. So like I said before, do not panic. New things are good. But if you want to go to our website, SoberSpeak.com, I would appreciate it. And I want to give a big hats off to my bride, the lovely Mrs. M., for spending so much time uh, researching and uh, and looking at that site and doing what she doesn't have to do, but I'm so uh, happy and fortunate to have her, and I'm so glad that she has done that. I appreciate it. And I also want to give a shout out to Mr. Rick W., uh, who uh, kind of took the reins and helped to redesign that website. I'm most grateful to have him in my life as well. In fact, uh, we're going to be putting a, a blog post, I think, pretty soon. Uh, we have somebody from New Zealand who has volunteered to uh, start with some little blogs. They're going to take some of the content that we have created already, uh, create that into a blog, and then post it on the website. So anyway, if you hadn't been there in a while, uh, go check us out. Uh, it may be exciting for you, it may not, but it's www.soberspeak.com. Now, It is time for a little bit of Deep Thoughts by John M. And what I want to do at this time of year is tell, uh, I call it my Christmas story in Alcoholics Anonymous. And what I mean by that is, I I may have told this story before, I I don't know, I'm sure I've told many of the stories uh, over and over on the podcast, I have no idea. But if you've heard this before, just bear with me. But now that we are in the middle of the holiday season... I want to tell you about my uh, experience, if you will, in Alcoholics Anonymous with Christmas. If when I got to uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, I would have sat you down and told you about some of my experiences with Christmas growing up, it would have been very apparent, uh, and you would have agreed with me, but that there are some reasons why I should not enjoy Christmas uh, and the holidays in general and everything that goes on around that. Um, But something happened to me like a year or two into sobriety. I, I had taken so much for so many years out of the holiday, the Christmas holiday in general, uh, that that I thought to myself, you know what, I've taken so much out, it's time to put back in a little something uh, that I have taken so I've been such a bah humbug guy for so many years, it's time for me to start putting back in. 
So what I did is I went to the 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 pharmacy store, drugstore, whatever you want to call it. I don't think it was CVS at the time. I think it was like a, a, a Eckerd's or something like that. But I went down there and I got some little decorations and I came back to my little apartment that I had. In, I'm talking like $5 worth of decorations, right? It was nothing. And they were really cheesy. And I put all those up in my apartment. And uh, I I started thinking to myself, I uh, started kind of feeling down about I said, you know, why don't I ever get any Christmas cards? Why doesn't anybody ever send me any Christmas cards? So you know what? All of a sudden it came to me. I said, well, you know, John M., that's because maybe you never send out any Christmas cards. So I started a Christmas card list, and I still have that Christmas card till today. And then what I also did is, is I, 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 you know, if there had been a hater, if there had been a, I could have been the president of Christmas Haters Anonymous. I kid you not. I did not like it. I did not like anything about it. I just wanted the holidays to be over. But, and the worst thing about Christmas was, you know, those little, uh, you know, those, when people put things on their car, like reindeer horns and all kinds of stuff, they put decorations on their cars to celebrate Christmas. Well, I hated those people more than the other people, (laughs) just the general people who I, I had a dislike for around Christmas time. And I didn't like Christmas shopping. I like, I, I just didn't like any of it. Okay. So. I went out to the store and I got one of those little, I bought this really cheap little holly wreath and I decided, you know what, I'm going to tie this on my car and I'm going to be one of the people that I hate. So I went over to my buddy Doug's house, Doug G, and never forget him. He was one of the first guys I ever sponsored in Alcoholics Anonymous and, and he uh, help me. He, he I, I didn't have a way. To, I, you know, I lived in an apartment and I, I didn't, I wasn't mechanically uh, inclined. In fact, I had a mechanical bypass when I was young. Get it? Mechanical bypass. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so I was mechanically challenged. I went over to his house and we went in his garage and we got some rope uh, and we, and, and we, and we tied that uh, holly wreath onto the front of my car and I was driving around with a holly wreath on my car and I was dang proud to be doing it. <laughs> and then I went out to the mall one day with a with a buddy of mine. Uh, his name is Mark. I absolutely love Mark. Uh, he's not one of us. And uh, we had always been kind of a bah humbug guys uh, together. We we had a brotherhood that we hated Christmas together, and we were very proud of that. So we're walking through the mall one day, and we're hearing all the Christmas music, and and I started to sing Jingle Bells or whatever was on, and and he looked at me like I had three eyes. He was like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "You know, Mark, I'm kind of changing my tune here. Literally, uh, I'm changing my tune in that." I, I like these Christmas songs. I don't know what's going on with me. He was like, you are losing it. And ever since then, uh, the music and everything that comes on during this time of year, I absolutely so much look forward to. And so I, I just had a change of heart. 
and 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 now I'm I'm married and, and the lovely Mrs. M puts all, all kinds of decorations and stuff around the house and, and and I love it now. I don't I still don't like doing things like putting out lights and it's not because I don't like Krista, just because I don't like climbing on ladders and I don't like manual labor like that a lot of the times. And so anyway, but 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 I love everything that goes on with Krista. You know, you know, to me the anticlimactic part of it is actually usually the day, right? I just like all the season and the songs and the the decorations and everything that's going on during this time and um so so I guess my point and what is my point my point is is that I'm the same guy this is the same season nothing's happened but what happened is I got into Alcoholics Anonymous I got a relationship with the God of my understanding and my perception and the things that go on around this holiday changed for me. Uh, I, it, I wasn't coming to Alcoholics Anonymous to figure out how to navigate Christmas. This was an unintended consequence of doing the steps. And when I do the steps and do the work that's called for, in Alcoholics Anonymous, I will have unintended consequences. Some positive, some not so positive, right? But my life will change because of it. That, ladies and gentlemen, is Deep Thoughts presented by John M. Now on to Mr. Pete F. We are calling this episode Practical Sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. Pete! has been sober since September of 2014. He talks about his recent divorce in sobriety. We talk about his musical background, sponsorship, amends, humility. Operating in the corporate world is a CIO while in Alcoholics Anonymous. And like I said, what Pete calls practical sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh, and we talk about his Bowflex diet. Yes, his Bowflex diet. You'll have to listen to hear what that is. It is pretty funny. So everybody, strap yourself in, buckle up, enjoy the ride, and we will have plenty, oh, listener feedback at the end of this episode. So make sure you stay tuned. Adios. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with the one and only from the Frisco group of AA. In the Dallas, Texas area, Mr. Pete F. So, Mr. Pete F., why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, and give your sobriety date if you wish, sir. Thank you, John. My name is Pete, and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, my sobriety date is September 14th of 2004. September 14th, 2004. That's, that's great, Pete. Congratulations. Thank you. You're quite welcome. <laughs> I'm sure you did it all by yourself, right? I wish that were the case, but uh, obviously um, it took a lot of people in a lot of rooms to get me to this point. So, very all right, grateful. so and before we get going here, there, I just want to talk to you about this real quick. I did. I see. Here's here's the thing about sitting in a meeting with somebody and you hear their shares, but you don't really hang out with them outside of the meeting a lot. I've always enjoyed. I've always loved what you had to share in the meetings. That's obviously why you're sitting here because I wanted you to share more of that mm-hmm. and what you share with the listeners. But right before. Before we started, you were asking me about the uh, the equipment that we have mm-hmm. set up here, you know, my digital recorder and all that kind of stuff. And you, you asked me how it does or, or, you know, how it's all kind of um, dovetailed together. 
And I said, well, are you, so you obviously know something about this. And you said, I'm a musician. So tell me about your musical background. Oy vey. Um, so I'm an amateur, a semi-pro musician. Um, I've played the guitar and I've played in bands since I was about 20 years old. And it's just something, I mean, it's ridiculous for a 50-year-old man to be, you know, hanging out with bands and doing that kind of stuff. But it's something that I can't shake. I just love doing it. I love everything. I love playing the music. I love singing. I love messing with the equipment and recording. And so it's just, it's my... It's what I do when I'm not working. What do you play? I play the guitar. Okay. Poorly. (laughs) No, well, it can't be that poorly. (laughs) Pretty poor. So do you do gigs and such? Yeah, I mean, when when there's no coronavirus, you know, shutting things down, you know, that's, you know, we play smoky little dive bars and, you know, do little festivals and, you know, benefits and stuff like that. And so, you know, when it's going a couple times a month, you know, we'll be out playing someplace. And so do you, what kind of music is it? Uh, Basically classic rock, you know, so everything from around the time that, you know, in in the early 70s, you know, some of the late 60s and then you know it just depends sometimes you'll throw in something from the 80s or the 90s and you know think that it's modern but that's classic that's actually i'm dating myself because 80s and 90s is considered classic rock now (laughs) right so like 60s and 70s stuff too yeah like so give me an example of like what are your your hits that you usually play oh you know we like uh the guess who um the led zeppelin pink floyd you know all of the the big names back in the day and uh you know, it's just, it, it's, you always freeze when somebody asks you what's, you know, what's on the song list because there's 60 or 70 songs and you can never remember one of them. But um, generally, if it was on, you know, the, uh, any of the major radio stations back in the 70s, it's probably something that we would play. So you do and a little then, bit of Jimmy Page there, huh? Uh, not me. Okay, uh, so I, you're not I, a lead I, guitar. Then. I can play the lead, but not not uh, a la Jimmy Page, although I know a lot of musicians that can do that. Um, I'm kind of the guy who holds down the rhythm, and also um, I do a little bit of singing. But both, again, it it sounds a lot uh, sexier than it really is. It's not. <laughs> it's it's like a garage band type thing, and, uh, you know, we make a little bit of money at it, and, you know, we enjoy it, and we take it pretty seriously, but it is, you know, it is not our job it's just a hobby so okay so like i said i i I don't i you know i know you from the meetings i absolutely love you Mm -hmm. every time you come into the rooms i'm like oh i hope they they call him pete to share (laughs) because because i love Mm hearing so with that being said though i don't tell me about yourself are are you you single you married you Mm -hmm. have kids um i have uh, one daughter who's 16 years old um i just got divorced actually that's one of the reasons that i moved to frisco um i was married for 23 years 23 years yeah 23 years um and then uh got divorced. Um, but, um, when that happened, you know, we were living in North Dallas and I was attending, you know, meetings downtown or I was attending meetings over in Irving where I worked at the time. And, uh, so, um, I got another job about the time that the marriage was ending and, uh, started working in Frisco. And then, uh, you know, as the divorce was getting finalized, I just moved up here to be closer to work. Um, actually just, you know, about six weeks ago, moved into a new house. I'm like a mile from where you are. Um, so, you know, we're pretty close and really close to the group, which is nice. Yeah. Um, so. Well, I didn't know we were that close. We're going to have to hang out some more. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, so while we're there. Let's talk a little bit about, there's going to be a lot of people listening to this, tons Mm -hmm. of people listening to this, who have been through a divorce and sobriety. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk to me a little bit about that, your experience and your emotions going through it, you know, being in sobriety and, you know, what your self-talk was, you know, and, and, and all that sort of stuff. 
Well, it's hard to talk about. By the way, let me say this. Okay, I yeah. don't think I've ever actually talked about this on the podcast before, but I've been through a divorce and sobriety myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, back when I was like a five years sober, something mm-hmm. like that, I went through what I call a starter marriage. Uh-huh. <laughs> we were married for like a year. Uh-huh. I went through that process, and it was it was probably the most painful thing mm-hmm. that me personally uh, that I've been through uh, while being sober. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm interested in getting your perspective on it. Sure. And I mean, it's a big thing. I mean, divorce and alcoholism seem to go, you know, hand in hand. It's it's pretty common. I'm a child of divorce. Um, ended up never thought I'd get divorced, but ended up being divorced after 23 years of marriage. You no know, kind of it's kind of a earth shattering kind of event. But it's hard to talk about it without talking about the year in which my ex and I decided to get divorced because. Um, you know, we all have troubles and everything else, but I had the most difficult year I could imagine. And um, the divorce was really one of the last events that occurred within that year. And so it wasn't just the divorce, it was the death of parents, it was the sale of a house, it was changing jobs, it was, you know, dogs dying. I mean, it was just so much happened in the span of a year that um, I had to lean into AA, I had to really press into God and in, into His mercy, and I had to live one day at a time for that entire year, actually about 18 months, um, because it was just, um, you know, it was the one-two punch, the kidney punch, and just constant bad news. And so, I remember talking to my sponsor. That's, you know, a big big thing for me is having a sponsor and really staying in touch with him and, and talking with him. And uh, he just said, you know, the the, the way that you get through this is a reflection of, of the program that you're working. It's a reflection of your relationship with God. And it can be, if um, you do this the way that you're, I'm hearing you want to do this, it can be something that others can draw strength from who are going through a tough time. And so I'm not sharing it because I'm proud of the way that I got through my divorce or any of those other things. I'm sharing it because it's it's a testament to the power of Alcoholics Anonymous, the power of the 12 steps, the power of the community of brothers that we have in the program, and ultimately to the power of God. So when I got divorced, or when I found out that I was getting divorced, I said, I'm going to, um, I'm here to serve, right? That's what AA taught me is I'm here to serve. It doesn't mean I'm going to be a doormat, but I am not going to fight. We've ceased fighting, so I'm not going to fight. I'm going to try to work it out so that um, I come out of it as whole as possible. My ex comes out of it as whole as possible. We can have somewhat of a, of a um, productive relationship for the benefit of our daughter, who we have in common. And that the, the, I said, the last thing I really want coming out of this is I don't need another enemy. I'm done making enemies. So. Mm. It was it was challenging, you know. I had to, um, and, and you know, it's never as difficult as when you're talking with somebody who's, you know, you've been married to. I mean, that's a very intimate relationship, which, you know, th- those feelings are very strong. But I constantly had to say, what is the right thing to do here? What AA taught me, you know, and is it to go and hire a, you know, a bulldog of a lawyer and try to tear her apart and try to keep all the money and you know. And time after time, I just kept, God put it on my heart that no, you need to sacrifice and, you know, you don't have to lose everything, but everybody's going to lose something. So step up to the plate and and do your part. So I think that um, 
I have a relationship with my ex-wife, which is amicable. Um, it's productive, again, for the benefit of our daughter. We co-parent fairly well as a result of that. We're still, you know, figuring some things out, but um, I don't harbor a lot of resentment in my heart about it. I'm not um, regretful about it. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an event that happened, but it's one that I'm, I'm just so grateful, <laughs> so grateful to AA for helping me get through it because I know the old me and, you know, the, the jihad that that would have become, you know, the holy war that that would have become to destroy one another. And it simply didn't, it didn't cross my mind. AA kept me on the right path. And I just feel like if there's, if you can go through a divorce, well, I think that happened. Again, I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm just talking about the power of the program, the power to change an asshole like me who would have been an absolute cutthroat into somebody who said, we both need to need to emerge from this and be able to carry on our lives. So that's, oh. that's divorce in AA as far as my experience. Right, goes. right. Um, I was getting... I was getting chills while you were speaking there, mm-hmm. to tell you the truth. I mean, I, I'm getting chills thinking about it because that's not the way I normally am. You know, you have to understand that that's not my... That's not my default setting. What about your daughter? How has she been through this? Well, I mean, it's not easy. And I thought for somebody who was 15 years old, it would be a little bit easier. But obviously, you know, it's it's a major change for her. And, you know, so she's getting used to it. And, um, you know, the reality is, is that um, I actually spend a little bit more quality time with her now because the you know, we get the standard Texas visitation schedule. So I get her every other weekend. And, and, um, when she's with me, we make that a priority. And that just wasn't the case before I was, I saw her every day, but we didn't make our time together a priority kind of took it for granted. Now, because it's limited, we have to be much more prescriptive about the way that we use it. And so, um, you know, I just, I can't wait to see her. And I think she feels the same way. She can't wait to come and see me. And, uh, you know, we do stuff together, but you know, I, I want to be a Disneyland dad. You know, I used to think that was a funny thing and I wanted to be that, but you know, I still have to be a father as well. And so we try to make time for that kind of stuff and also time to just spend with one another and, and enjoy each other's time. So she's getting better. Okay. So let's go back a little bit. Sure. You said that, uh, making you're you're tired of making enemies <laughs> you don't want to make any more enemies yeah. is basically what you said so i'm assuming that would kind of reference a time before you got to alcoholics anonymous and talk to me about that particular area you know before you got here what 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 are the kind of the things that come up for you well um, you know, I, I said that because it always, it reminds me of that little saying where, you know, friends may come and friends may go, but an enemy lasts forever. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've hear, I hear a lot of people talk about this in Alcoholics Anonymous, that I either love you or I hate you. There's really not, a, I, I, you know, tolerance is never part of the equation. And oftentimes, if I know you long enough, it turns to hate. And so, um, you know, there's just a lot of people who I had a lot of um, animosity towards, a lot of resentment towards. And, you know, like a lot of us coming into Alcoholics Anonymous, I had a lot of baggage. And so, um, you know, it's, I don't want to make more enemies, you know, at the, at the very worst, what I want is a relationship where I'm tolerating somebody, right? Um Otherwise, what my preference is, is that I have a relationship where I can find something in people 
that, you know, that we have in common that I can like, or more importantly, love, you know, that brotherly love thing. Um, and that makes relationships much easier. I don't struggle with relationships like I used to. Everybody struggles with them, but not like I used to. I don't, I just don't, I can't think of an enemy that I have. And before AA, I could have, I, 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 I thought about them all the time. You know, what I should have said, what I could have done, right. how I could have gotten over on them. And now I just don't think about that stuff. Did you grow up here in this area? Uh, no, I moved here about 25 years ago. Um, but I lived, my, I'm a child of divorce. And so I lived with my mom uh, in Southern California th- through most of the school year. And then um, my father lived on a cattle ranch out in West Texas, Eastern New Mexico. And uh, I lived there for most, for all of the summer and a little bit of the school year um, because of their you know, divorce decree. So any alcohol or drug addiction in the background with the Yeah, family? yeah, dad is or was a uh, uh an alcoholic. He was in you know, when I was probably 8 or 10 years old, I remember him going to meetings and I know that he had a stretch of about 14 or 15 years. And then um he uh Did you ever you never went to any meetings with him back then? No. No. Yeah. Um did he seem like he was real involved or kind of... He was very involved in Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, it was, he was, you know, you would have labeled him a success story. Um, you know, long-term sobriety, working with others, um, living, um, you know, a godly life and, you know, doing the best he can. And then um, I think what happened is he moved um, off of that ranch. He'd been a cattleman his whole life. He moved off of that ranch. He'd been a what his whole life? A cattleman. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um and moved up to uh, Washington and, you know, thought, well, I can, you know, drink a little beer on these cloudy days. And, you know, you know how the story goes. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, you know, he was he was back off to the races and, uh, you know, had a few bouts in and out of AA, but really was trying to do it himself. Very religious guy, you know, very scholarly when it came to religion and the Bible and, and Christianity in general. But like so many people, that's just not enough. You know, he didn't have the addition of AA, the fellowship to help him stay sober, and he just didn't. And uh, he, uh, that's one of the horrible things that happened, you know, in the year of my divorce. It was actually one of the things that really was the, it kicked off the, you know, that horrible year it was actually two years ago in September. Um, he passed and he passed after four or five years of, of absolute suffering, unmitigated suffering. When you say suffering, suffering from alcoholism? Yeah, suffering from alcoholism. So, you know, all of the, um, the emotional suffering that we go through, the loneliness, um, the separation, um, but also physical suffering. So, um, you know, night eating, you know, he was under a hundred pounds, um, and, you know, falling down the stairs covered in bruises, you know, every day would fall and just, um, his health declined and kept, you know, continuing to decline. And, uh, you know, I can go into great detail about some of the horrible things that happened to us as we, you know, enter the last stages of alcoholism. Um, I'll, I'll save it, (laughs) but, um, I can tell you that as, and this is a little bit selfish, but we learned this in the program, as difficult as it was to watch and know that I couldn't do anything um, other than be there for him as a son, but there was nothing I could do to, you know, get him sober. Um, As difficult as that was to watch, it's also really a powerful reminder to me of just what it is that I have, you know, and what happens if I don't do the right thing. And so... um, I try to turn that around and use that as a, you know, this is a glimpse of my future. If I decide to screw the cap off a bottle of whiskey, this is what will end up, you know, happening to me. 
And so I remember talking to him too, you know, about this. And he said, you know, just, he said, don't drink. That was his, that was his, uh, that was his dying wishes that I don't pick up a drink and, and experience what happened to him. So, so he knew you were obviously sober. And- oh yeah. Very proud of it. Oh, wow. All right. So what about your mom and your, do you have brothers and sisters? I have a sister. Um, mom is, um, she lives, uh, over in Eulis. My sister and her live over in Eulis, um, just a couple blocks from each other. So, um, you know, how, how did your sister do with your dad's death? Um, you know, not well. I mean, I, I don't know. I, that's a difficult question. I mean, I think we do well in that, you know, we, my whole family, we understand death is a part of life and, you know, we kind of, we mourn and then we get past it and then we go on with our lives. And so she did that, but obviously it was, it was devastating. Right. You know, I, I have to say, you know, at this point that, um, that experience gave me a new appreciation for Al-Anon's because I used to think of Al-Anon's as, you know, kind of the fakers, you know, that, you know, they're just kind of taking advantage of these steps, but they don't have the same, you know, impetus that we would have to, to go through the steps and, and, and take all of this um, work on. And I remember asking my grand sponsor early on, I said, why do, why is there Al-Anon? Why do these people do this? And he said, well, Pete, they're powerless over alcohol too. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I, I can get the idea that I'm powerless over alcohol in me, but it never occurred to me that I'm powerless over alcohol in everybody. And so, new perspective on Al-Anon, and uh, really have a lot of respect for that as a program, because at least I can change myself. Even more difficult to not be able to change somebody and watch them destroy themselves. Even as an alcoholic, it is difficult to watch another alcoholic die of alcoholism. Right. Let me do a little break here. We will be continuing our conversation with Pete F. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at SoberSpeak.com. There you will find approximately other, approximately 160 plus other episodes you can listen to for free. Uh, you can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics organization or institution we do not wish to engage in any controversy neither endorse nor oppose any causes all right now back to mr pdaf all right so let's uh, go back a little to you so what was the turning point i guess that got you into alcoholics anonymous in 2004 was that your first venture into aa it was and so um i had already started um you know experiencing some of the negative effects of of active alcoholism, um, nearly losing my marriage back then. And, uh, you know, we were at the point where we were kind of deciding who's going to get custody of the dog. And, uh, so did you realize at that time that you had a problem with alcohol? Were you in denial? Here's how I knew that I had a problem because, uh, I resisted going to marriage counseling. I absolutely wouldn't do it. And I realized today that the reason I didn't want to is because I didn't want to talk about my drinking. Right. And I remember finally agreeing to it as, you know, one last ditch way of keeping my marriage together. I agreed to go to counseling. And the night before we went to counseling, I studied my face in the mirror. I spent at least a half an hour doing this. 
trying to say with a straight face, I'm not an alcoholic. I just enjoy drinking because I knew it was going to be the first thing that came up and I wanted to be able to convincingly say it so that I could, you know, stop that conversation with the therapist, move on to what was wrong with my wife and, uh, you know, keep on drinking the way that I wanted to. And so that was kind of the first indication that alcohol was running my life. And it wasn't long after that, that I, um, I was I bought a Bowflex and I bought one used. Yeah, I don't know if you remember the Bowflex. But yeah, the explain to people what those are. The Bowflex is like an exercise machine, you know, and it's it's made for your home. It's kind of a home gym. They're pretty. They were at the time pretty expensive, so I bought it used and uh, got it home and got it set up. But you know, I the next day I was at work and I was downloading the instructions on how to you know the exercises and the ex- the diet program that you're supposed to use to make the Bowflex um, work for you. And, um, so you had to go on the Bowflex diet and I remember reading the diet and and I remember reading that, um, you know, you had to use the Bowflex 20 to 30 minutes a day. There was all of these, um, exercises that you had to do, but then they also wanted you to go on a 1900 calorie a day diet. Oh no. And alcohol. I thought, yeah. And I thought, oh, that's, that's no problem. But then I realized, my God, I'm, I'm probably drinking double that, <laughs> j- double that number of calories in alcohol. So the Poflex diet's certainly not going to work for me unless I make a change. And so what the change that popped into my head was not quit drinking. The change that popped into my head was maybe I can quit eating and just survive on liquor. <laughs> and you know, it no, sounds, it, it's bro. funny now, but it seemed very, very, you know, normal. It seemed very logical at the time. And um, it was... At, at that moment, you know, that was my moment of clarity, and um, I realized at that point that I was absolutely whipped by alcohol, and the same road my dad had gone down, that was the road that I was heading down, and so my, you know, my internet search switched from, you know, the Bowflex diet to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I found that there was a meeting at the Preston Group, and I found that was there that was your meeting. first search for alcohol. That was my first ever? search. Other than I went to a couple meetings with my dad later in life, just mm-hmm. getting taking him to a meeting. Gotcha. Um, so I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous a little bit, um, but I found the press. What was your preconceived? Uh, or did you have an impression of it that you think was incorrect before you got there? I thought it was weird and sappy. And, um, you know, by sappy, you mean all these emotional stories and yeah, all that, you know, that we're sharing our stories with one another and we're all, you know, cheering for God and we're all, you know, <laughs> a bunch of, um, you know, we've just given up life and, you know, we're, we're, we're faking how happy we are. That's what I thought Alcoholics <laughs> Anonymous was, but it was great for my dad cause he was an alcoholic, right? Of course I am too. And so I'm very curious when I, the couple meetings I went to about what they were talking about, but um, anyhow, anyhow, you know, the they had a lunch meeting, and I went to that lunch meeting over at the Preston Group, and, you know, I don't know if you've been over there. Well, this was a long time ago. They've moved once or twice since then, but there was this long blue hall, and, you know, there was an Al-Anon room off to the right, but you had to walk down this blue hall, and I remember walking in and just, you know, just having tunnel vision. I was really, really... Um, nervous about what I was going to find in there. And um, I remember thinking, this is the same color blue as the weather for jail. 
And I thought that was just hilarious, you know, that I'm walking into a, an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and it's the same color as a, it's, I call it institutional blue and a lot of alcoholics will know it. They also know institutional green, you know, because those seem to be the two colors. But um, anyway, I walked in there and there was a non-smoking room and there was a smoking room and the smoking room was just filled with smoke and I thought that was awesome. And so I went into the smoking room and uh, they invited me back for a meeting at six. And then when I was there, they invited me back for a meeting at eight and uh, the next morning at seven. And so I was making four meetings a day at the Preston group immediately. I mean, just immediately, I don't know why it just, it was so out of character for me to do that, but something about those meetings just drew me in. And uh, you know, it's, I don't like to follow rules. I don't do it often, but somehow or another Alcoholics Anonymous, just the power of that room to somebody who finally wanted help, the power of that room it, it just trumped all of my, you know, bullshit thinking. And um, I just did what I was told to do. And so I'm always curious about this, too, is that, okay, so here you are, you've been married for an extended period of time at that point. Uh, I'm sure, um, I'm just wondering how, you, how, your, how your wife reacted. I mean, you're spending four meetings yeah. a day, right? Uh, you're, you're gone quite a bit, yeah. and you read about this, all of a sudden you just take to it like a fish to water mm-hmm. or whatever. Did that go over well? Was she happy for you? Well, so in, in typical alcoholic you know, fashion, I didn't tell her. And um, I, I actually, those, those hours weren't abnormal for me to work. I went to work early off and I wouldn't get home until late. So really, I was, I was taking more time off of work than time gotcha. off of the family. But there was still an impact. I mean, it was I was leaving earlier and I was getting home a little later than I normally would have. But I didn't want to tell her I was going to AA because I wanted to leave myself the back door. Right. That if, it, if I decided I don't want to do this AA thing, she wouldn't know and then hold me accountable to the admission that I was an alcoholic, right. Right? <laughs> right? So I waited about three or four, well, probably two or three weeks, you know, until I was pretty sure that I wanted to really go through with it. And then she thought I was having an affair. When Oof. I finally sat down yeah. and told her, she thought that I was having an affair. And I'm like, you know, look at me. How am I going to have an affair, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Pete, you're a good-looking guy. <laughs> so, so um, you know, she just, she just immediately started crying and told me how proud she was of me. And, you know, that's when I knew that I thought that I was the only one who knew that I was an alcoholic, right? I thought Mm. nobody else knew I did such a great job of keeping this a secret. And from her reaction, it was obvious that, no, I did a terrible job of keeping it a secret. At least from her. Right. Okay, so you're in AA now. Um, Take me a little bit further down i uh, like the, was how was that first year what were those first couple years like uh, take me through that period well you know i i still don't understand what it was about aa that made me comply um i just i don't know that's a good way to put it, uh, it, it well it, it sounds terrible i mean i yeah. hate the word comply no, I know mean, right? or you know that that i've been obligated or accountable i just don't like those because they're they're a harness that i don't want to carry but something about aa made me want to be obedient and um so i got a sponsor i got a sponsor in my group and uh i started working with him and whatever he told me to do i did it and again not that's not me that, you know, unaided by a higher power, I would have fought all the way. I probably would have dropped out after a couple of weeks, but I stayed in just long enough to start feeling better, start seeing some results, which was immediately pointed out to me that this is the program working for you. 
keep going. And uh, so I did. And I think, you know, I come from a line of sponsors who were extremely um, interested in service. And so they made me get jobs in the group. And, you know, I remember, you know, I Getting, getting there early to make coffee was my job for a while. And there was an old man, Bob Kay, and he used to get there, you know, 20 minutes before the group would start. And I remember telling my sponsor, you know, I can't make the coffee because Bob keeps beating me to the meeting. And he would say, well, then why don't you beat Bob to the meeting? You know, he wasn't interested in my excuse. He just said, figure it out, figure out how you're going to go and make the coffee. And uh, so I figured out that I had to get there 35 to 40 minutes ahead of time to meet, to beat Bob. And what that did was that put me a in service. Cause now I'm making the coffee, but I'm also the first person who's setting up the room, who's greeting people as they're coming in and I'm getting introduced to every person in the group. Right? right. I had no idea that was going on. I think my sponsor, that was his plan, right? Is that you get there early enough so that you have to do all of these things. And then that got, you know, Somebody else got the coffee job, and so then I got the toilet job. You know, and so you think you would get like better and better jobs. <laughs> that's not the way I worked with. Not him. Me, His yeah. name was Bo, and that's not the way I worked with Bo. Bo made me clean up the dead skunk. You know, in the back of the of the group, and he made me, um, you know, clean up the outside. And then you know, the thing was toilets, and we would go in and we'd clean the toilets between meetings when nobody was there, so that we couldn't get caught. And then. Um, that's today that is still my thing is to clean in toilets and i try to do it you know before or after the meetings when i don't get caught it's just you know service was really really important right so do you sponsor have you sponsored guys while you're in the program yeah do you I, still still sponsor uh, i'll tell you this um little story and you know i was talking about my rough year um and in the middle of that rough year within about two weeks of each other five guys actually six guys wanted me to sponsor them and you know again I, I talked to my sponsor and said you know what do i do and he says well we never say no in aa but in this case you may have to do some things just because of the practicality of it how are you going to meet with that many guys and uh god just put it on my heart that you know if they've reached out and asked for help i'm not going to deny them i explained the situation to them and said we're going to have to get really creative and you guys are going to have to you know work with me. And they all agreed. And uh, one of them turned out he wasn't, he, he seldom even drank. He actually, he was just an addict. And, you know, he eventually found a sponsor who was, you know, more in line with the, with the needs that he had. Um, but I was left with five guys. And so we would meet at the group at, you know, 530 in the morning, 6am, sometimes 7pm, a couple times a week. And, you know, in the middle of, you know, the death of three parents, you know, in the same year, a divorce, moving, ending of a job, beginning of a new job, death of two of our family pets. I mean, all of this tragedy that had mm -hmm. happened in my life, it what I thought was going to be a real grind turned out to be one of the lights. I just looked forward to those, you know, hour, hour and a half that I would spend with them. I was with somebody almost every day deep inside of the big book. And um, I learned more about the big book because they were all at the same place. I was going through it over and over and over again. Sometimes one day we would do, you know, chapter one, and then the next day I would do it with another guy at chapter one. And then they would get a little out of sync and then they would sync up. And so it's just weird how God puts that in your, in your life when you need it. And so, you know, 
I've just been blessed. And yeah, so I've, I've absolutely, I've sponsored folks. It's not my favorite thing. I'm, a lot of people talk about sponsorship like it's the greatest thing in the world. And it's like they've, you know, ascended to some special place because they're sponsoring people. And to me, it's a real pain in the ass. <laughs> but I do it. Um, right. I try to be cheerful about it. I try to do it. it it's a service. It's, it's, it's the cost of my sobriety. And it was done for me. And so I'm, I'm happy to do it. Um, but I try to keep it really practical and really simple. So, what about amends? Do you have any uh, comments on amends that you have made or you've seen others participate in while you're in sobriety? Well, I again, I not not normal, but when when I had my list, I went out and I made my amends, and I made every single one of them on the list because I just didn't want it hanging over me. I didn't want there to be any excuse to go back and drink, so I did all my amends. And frankly, mine weren't as big as some of the amends that I've seen, you know, performed in AA. Um, I've had, um, you know, I've worked with, with guys who've had tremendous amends that they've had to make, you know, legal, um, financial. Um, and so, you know, I, I know that, you know, that can be a struggle and I know the, you know, the weight, this is one of those areas in NAA where we say, Listen, I can I can pay this large sum of money back that I stole and I can live a happy and productive life or I cannot do it and I can drink and die and we look at those and weight them equally. The alcoholic <laughs> right. mind just, you know, we don't have a we don't have proportion or perspective when it comes to alcohol. And so I've I, I got to participate with people who were facing that kind of a decision, um, and in many cases they said, "Listen, I don't want to do that. I'm so happy with the way life is that I'm willing to risk the amends." Um, one of them, and this wasn't a guy I sponsored, but it was a guy who was in my support group. Um, one of them actually reported um, to the court. He'd been a fugitive of the court. He knew that he was probably going to be arrested. He knew that he would probably go back to jail, and in fact. He, when he did this, you know, he went back to make his amends. He was arrested and he was, you know, he was released on, on bond, but he was given a date that he had to report to jail and he had to go to jail for three or four years. Mm -hmm. And he's, he got out of jail. He's sober, stayed sober, stayed sober and helped a lot of guys in jail. And so I've seen the power of amends just change people, you know, changed me. When I bring up the word humility, what do you, by the way, I never know exactly how all the, you know, we talked about it beforehand. Mm -hmm. uh, I never know exactly how these interviews are going to go. Uh -huh. Right. And with you, I just, I, I like it when you kind of like dive into a particular topic. So uh -huh. anyway, when I bring up the word humility, what comes to mind for you, Pete? So I think it's one of the most controversial subjects in AA. Um, and, and I'm, I'm sick to death when I go into a meeting and people say, you know, I don't want to talk about being humble because if I talk about it, then I'm not humble. And I just, I just don't buy that. I think that it, humility is something that we strive for in AA. It's something that you know, we're never going to be perfect, but we have to, we have to constantly work for it. For me, I have to work to be humble. I have to work for humility. Um, and so how do I do that? I do that by staying engaged in the steps, working with others, putting others' needs before mine, um, and being a servant. And um, so I think we need to talk about it more. And I think you're, I, I don't think there's a lack of humility talking about your attainment of some degree of humility. Um, I think others need to see that example. And 
I think it's a very simple definition too. We, we, I think as alcoholics, we try to make it really hard. I know I did. Um, I wanted to make it, you know, seem like the guy who's, you know, long gray beard sitting on top of the mountain, denying himself of everything, but that which is required to maintain just the, you know, the most basic level of life, right? That that would somehow be humble. And that's not the, that's not the definition for me today. The definition of humility for me is that God is the center of my life and that alcohol is not a part of my life. I don't want alcohol to be a part of my life. That when I'm rightly related to God, that's about as humble as I'm going to be. And so it's just a main it's just about how I maintain that. And I don't think about being humble. I think about I might think about the step that I'm applying, you know, here I'm applying a I'm applying a 10th step or here I'm applying a 7th step or a 6th step. I might think of that, but really I'm probably thinking more along the um the lines of, you know, what is it when they used to put them above the steps that oh the on the beam off the beam yeah kind of the, there's an on the beam off the beam but there's also i forgot what they're called but you know it's brotherly love and justice and oh the principles yeah the principles i'm sorry the principles that's really where my brain is at is that i'm going to be honest you know and that covers a bunch of steps right and then i'm going to i'm going to strive for brotherly love um, i haven't got I've, i'm good, doing good on brotherly love brotherly tolerance is still a problem <laughs> but especially on the road especially in the grocery store but um, so the principles really you know is what i'm thinking about and um, to me, that's that's all the humility I need. And you know, it's not about giving other people credit, even though I want to, you know, share in it. Or I mean, that's part. I guess that's one definition. But the definition I use to stay sober is just God's in charge. I'm not. I know that you are in business, right? Mm-hmm. You have a job, obviously. Sure. I think you work that job pretty hard. I mean, mm-hmm. you've made reference to it already. How have you applied the steps and what you've learned in the program and how has it changed you in how you approach your job? And, and do you want to describe basically what you do with your job? Uh, yeah. So um, I'm, a, I'm a technology executive. I'm a CIO. And so I run, you know, the technology portion of a, of a pretty good sized business. And, um, you know, it's... AA and and living the principles in AA makes work a little bit harder, very frankly. Um, I don't get to cut corners like other people do. Um, I I have to take the high path every single time. And there are times where the lower path is very, um, it seems much easier, Mm -hmm. um, which is a lie. Um, Long term, it's not. Long term. But short term, it sure looks good. Mm -hmm. Um, There are times where, um, you know, I think retribution needs to be doled out, you know, and I want to be the sheriff, you know. (laughs) There's just a lot of things that, you know, um, the way that I'm wired that I think that would, would help. And AA kind of attenuates that. And so in business, I found that AA makes things harder. It makes it better. You know, I have a much better reputation. Maybe you can sleep better at night. Certainly I can sleep better, but you know, people trust me, right? If, you know, if I say I'm going to do something, they know that I'm going to do it. If I say, you know, if I, if I get into a deal with somebody, they know that I'm going to hold up my end. Um, I think I would have done that before, but there would have been a lot more, um, self-seeking in that, you know, and, and, and motivation towards my own benefit. And what I found, and this is one of the, the great things about AA, is that when we work towards the mutual benefit of those around us, everybody benefits a lot more. Yeah. It's when somebody's trying to take more than their fair share, which is, you know, again, 
my normal wiring is is doing that. Um, so I would say that AA's made the job a little bit harder, but it's much more rewarding. I, I, I go in and I work and I work hard. I know that I do a good job for my employer. I take satisfaction in the work that I do. I, you could say pride. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing to have pride in the work that we do. Correct. Um, and, you know, I certainly enjoy the, um, the, outcome of working hard and, and doing a good job. And, um, I enjoy the camaraderie at work. Um, but I sometimes get a little bit miffed that other people get to take the low road, <laughs> right? you know, and I got to take the high road. So, <laughs> so Pete, as we wrap it up here, uh, there are people, um, listening in all four corners of the world. Mm-hmm. Some of them are thinking about getting into recovery in some form or fashion. Uh, you know, some of them are on the edge. Some of them have one foot in, one foot out, and they don't know really if it's for them. I, have, mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many people I have write me and they say, well, you know, I haven't been to meetings yet, uh, but I enjoy your podcast, mm-hmm. or I haven't, uh, uh, you know, I haven't, for whatever reason they haven't dove in yet and really what i want you to do is kind of share not really give advice so to speak but share your experience strength and hope on what uh, alcoholics anonymous has done for you Mm -hmm. well my life revolves around alcoholics anonymous i mean it is the centerpiece of my life god is the centerpiece of my life and god is represented you know the, the the outer circle of god is for me is alcoholics anonymous and that's the way that i communicate with god that's the way i stay in touch with this higher power that i need to live and it's the way that i stay accountable to the way of life that's prescribed in the 12 steps of alcoholics anonymous and so um what i will say and i kind of touched on it earlier is that my exposure to aa is you know there was a lot of people who were kind of pollyanna and a lot of, you know, um, I'm one, so I'm going to say this, and, and I hope it doesn't offend anybody, but um, a lot like Jesus freaks, right? I'm a mm-hmm. Jesus freak. I'm a self-confessed Jesus freak. No question about it. Right. But that that personality type. Right. Um, you know, and, and that turned me off about AA. When I first got into AA and I heard all these people getting really sappy and telling these really emotionally frothy stories, it says in the book that that doesn't work. Well, that does, it certainly doesn't work for me. And that's what I thought AA was. But what, and there are people who love that about AA and more power to them. I like practical sobriety. I like the kind of sobriety that's very black and white. It doesn't require a lot of, um, it doesn't require a lot of uh, pomp and circumstance. And so I happened to find a sponsor um, who is about practical sobriety. It's not what I think. It's not what I say. It's what I do. And that's all he focused on is what am I doing? And where's my head in relation to my feet? And where's my, where are my feet and head in relation to God? That's that it. And so I don't have to get emotionally frothy. I don't have to be a... Um, a poster child for AA, I'm certainly not. Um, but, and sometimes people think I don't like AA, but that's not the case. I absolutely love AA, but I get from AA what I need. And then I don't, I don't do a lot of the other stuff that come, the, the extracurricular AA stuff. I don't have a lot of friends in AA. I, I got sober in AA so that I could go out and maintain friendships outside. And so that's the way I live my life. So if somebody's like me, um, 
what I would say is find the right sponsor. I think that's common advice. And I think um, find the right group also, right? And if you if you don't want to get into all of the, the trappings of a sober life, just get into the tools and live the tools and be authentic to yourself. And uh, anybody can do AA. It doesn't matter. Everybody can get sober in AA. I absolutely believe it. So. I think we just came up with the uh, title for this particular episode. I think we're going to call it Practical Sobriety. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Pete, thank you so much for joining thank you. me today. Thank you so much. God bless you, my friend. Likewise. Oh, and I need to read page 164 of the big book as we um, wrap things up here. You would think I would learn to have this uh, ready. Oh, my goodness. Here it is. Here it is. My goodness. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Pete, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Pete, thank you so much for joining me. God bless. Thank you, Mr. Pete F. If you're listening out there and that episode impacted you, please take a moment to stop and share. Remember, we don't want you sharing your gossip or your STD, but we do want you sharing this episode with a friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. Now, onto a little bit of a listener feedback for you. Roger writes in and Roger says, Hi John, I live in Grand Haven, Michigan, right on the shore of Lake Michigan, just be just west of Grand Rapids, Michigan. There's a few Michigans there. He says, I have been sober since February 4th of 1984. I went to treatment at the Hazelton Center in Minnesota for 30 days and have been in, and have been active in AA ever since. I stumbled onto your podcast last night. One of my grand sponsees turned me on to the podcast. Then I looked up some I, then I looked up alcoholics and you were there. I just listened to Jared M from Texas tonight. That was our previous episode. Uh, from uh, tonight from Texas with with your interview style of talk. We do open talks here in Michigan quite often, at least before the quote, this thing screwed everything up. He's talking about coronavirus. He says, I was thinking I might try the interview idea in our area. Maybe we could get more people to speak. I think that's a good idea, Roger. You got to try that. And he says, uh, all we have in the area now is Zoom meetings due to our governor. <laughs> anyway, anyway, it's a great day to be alive and sober. I will be passing on your podcast, Sober Speak, to many of my buds. I will keep listening from now on, Roger K. Well, Roger K., welcome to the community, uh, the Sober Speak community. You're already part of the AA community, and you have been for quite some time. I appreciate your service and sticking with it for so many years. Thanks, Roger K. Brent writes in, Brent says, Hi, John, I live on a farm and a ranch in East Texas. 
By the grace of my higher power, I have been sober for a couple of years now. I found Sober Speak during the pandemic when I was looking for more interactions with other alcoholics to support my program. I know a few of the guests on your podcast personally, so it has been meaningful to me to hear from them. Thank you so much for what you're doing. I listen to at least one episode a week. Thanks again, Brent. Well, thank you, Brent, on the farm and ranch out there in East Texas. Appreciate you writing in. Natalie writes in. She says, hi, John. My name is Natalie. I love the live Zoom meeting. Well, I'm glad you could make that, Natalie. It was so much fun, and Gary Kay had such nice responses. I live in Arizona, and I have been in Al-Anon for three and a half years. Triple exclamation point. No longer around active alcoholism, but I still uh, attend open AA meetings. So many great shares. I found Sober Speak in two, 2019 just by searching for recovery podcasts. I really like your delivery as a host, and I can tell you have a great time doing it. Were you right about that, Natalie? She says, I have enjoyed so many guests, and it's hard for me to mention just a few. Thanks. For all you do, John M. Natalie. Well, thank you for writing in, Natalie. Appreciate ya. Larry writes in, and Larry says, I live in, hope I can get this right, Polsbo, Washington, P-O-U-L-S-B-O. I retired a little over a year ago and sold everything and took off in an RV. The only problem was I went along and drank myself across the country. Sorry, Larry. He says, I have just a few days right now, but I am attending Zoom Zoom meetings daily and have started working with a sponsor. I found Sober Speak when I did an internet search for recovery podcasts, and I resonate with Bill C. I also have signed up for his daily email. Thanks for all the work that you are doing, Larry. Well, thank you, Larry. And just in case somebody is not familiar with what Larry's talking about, if you want to sign up for Bill C's daily email, you would email Bill at kitchentableaa.com. And if you need to, and if you don't have a pen to write that down, just email me at John, J-O-H-N at soberspeak.com and I will get that to you. Thanks, Larry. Anicia writes in from down under and she said, John, it was great to see. It was great to see and be there at the Sober Speak Live event, although I must apologize for not having me screen on. Well, no problem, Anicia. Believe me, I was focused on just getting through the event. I did not notice. He said, she said it was midday here in Aus. And I was doing lunch things for my family. And as well as listening, I j- I'm just so sorry I wasn't able to give my full attention and a real-life smiling face to Gary without being interrupted with no problem. Anicia, I just like saying your name. I've never known an Anicia, and I like saying it because I know how to pronounce it. Because you gave me the phonetic spelling at one time, like last year or something like that. Anyway... Back to the letter. She says the letter, email. I I, I wish we 
Gosh, if we did write letters nowadays, it'd be so cool. But anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. She said, the last couple of Sober Speak Live events I missed, and we have a sponsorship meeting that runs across the same time, and I wouldn't want to miss that sponsorship meeting. Well, I don't blame you, Anicia. Not only because I love it, I'd probably get... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> probably get raised eyebrows. Yes, I'm not, I'm pronouncing that like she says, P-R-O-L-L-Y. Why? Get raised eyebrows at best, laugh out loud. Due to my time zone change recently, I was able to jump on for Gary K. He never disappoints. Always a great speaker. Not sure if you picked it up from Vinoy or Nancy, but they are BFFs. They came out to Sydney, Australia for our women's conference and boy, what a hoot. Yes, I love Vinoy and Nancy, both of them. She says they are so much fun together and they had all of us peeing ourselves (laughs) with laughter. I'll never forget it. While I don't like the pandemic, I am incredibly grateful for it in that I get to sit in meetings with my sponsor, grand sponsor Vinoy and Nancy each week. What a treat. Plus, I get to meet you guys and other fellow travelers through Zoom. Hope you and yours stay, stay safe and well and happy over the Christmas holiday period. Best wishes and much gratitude to you and all you guys for doing your work through Sober Speak. Anicia, praying hands, smiley face, and then another emoji. I don't know what that means. It's like smiling with, I think that's clapping hands is what that is. So nonetheless, thank you, Anicia, for writing down in, down, for writing into us from down under in Australia. Philip writes in from Sweden. He says, hey, John, Philip here from Sweden. He didn't say it that way, but you get the idea. He said, it was very nice to see you and Gary Kay at the Sober Speak Live event. Well, he was there as well. In Sweden, the event started at two o'clock in the middle of the night. Oh, no. He said, I fell asleep almost 40 minutes into the show. I'm so sorry, Philip. He says, I don't know for how long I slept, but you guys you guys were still going when I woke up. <laughs> yeah, we went on for quite a while. He says, I hope you didn't see me sleeping and drooling in the webcam. <laughs> no, I didn't see that, Philip. He says, looking forward to listening to the podcast while being awake this time. You and your guests rock. And then he's got one of those like rock hands, you know, like when you hold up, you know, like two fingers, it kind of looks like a hook em horns <laughs> emoji there. But anyway, hey, you know what, Philip and Sweden, you rock, my friend. Thank you for writing. <laughs> I appreciate it. Derek writes in, he says, good morning, John. My name is Derek R. I am 41 years old and I live in Titusville, Florida, FL. I have worked the 12 steps out of the big book and I serve sponsees by taking them through the steps the same way. I am a true alcoholic and I was hopeless toward the end of my obsession with alcohol. I am five years sober. Good for you, Derek. But was in and out of the room for six years and it's only by the grace of God that I was scared 
of like most th- most things that fear touch my life today. Um, I probably didn't read that right, but nonetheless, I truly know a freedom and happiness that I never thought was possible. I hear you, Derek. I am so grateful for you being of service by helping others with your podcast. I can identify with you and all of your guests in one way or another. I listen to your show every morning on my walks. As I write, I am listening to David G on step five. Well, thank you for doing God's work and being a service to others. Please add me to the super secret Facebook group as possible with gratitude, Derek R. The picture below is of this morning's sunrise looking out over NASA's Kennedy Space Center. I got that. That was an absolutely beautiful picture, Derek. I appreciate you uh, calling, excuse me, writing in. Uh, As you know, I got you an invite out to that Facebook group, and I'm so, so happy that uh, I can be on this journey with you, my friend. Matt writes in and he says, my name is Matt, and I'm not going to read his last name, but it starts with an F, from Millersburg, Ohio, 45 miles south of Akron in the heart of Amish country. Well, that, I'm sure you know this, Akron is the birthplace of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he says it usually helps to throw that info in so people know where Millersburg, Ohio is at. My sobriety date is February 23rd of 2015. I have a God of my understanding, a sponsor, and a home group, which is called the Millersburg Tuesday Night AA Group. I just came across your podcast on Saturday evening as I searched Spotify for AA Podcasts. I just listened to Bill C's episode on Step 10 and really appreciated it. I will definitely be coming back to hear more. I have a desk job where I can listen to the podcast while working. Could you, John M., hook me up with the Super Secret Facebook group? And uh, thank you so much, John. Hope to see you around someday, Matt. Well, as you know, Matt, we got you out the invite and it's so good to have you in the Super Secret Facebook group. And I'm glad that all is going well for you up there in Millersburg, Ohio. Thanks for writing in. Bettina writes in. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. B-E-T-T-I-N-A. She says, hi, John. Not really sure how to join the Super Secret Facebook group. My email is such and such. Love the podcast and the diversity. I am listening from Germany. Blessings, Bettina. Well, guten Tag, Miss Bettina. And as you know, you are in there now. All you had to do was send me your email associated with your Facebook account to John j-o-h-n at soberspeak.com and we have you now in the facebook group and you know i have a, a couple of people lined up from germany that i will be recording here in the new year we are going for the international flavor and i'm so glad that you are listening to us while over in germany thank you bettina finally 
Last, but oh, definitely not least, Kathy writes in and Kathy says, John, I was listening to your podcast on the way to work today, and I'm so grateful to spend time with you. Well, thank you, Kathy. Likewise, very much likewise. She said the gym that I immediately texted all my friends upon arriving at the office was, quote, Not everything happens for a reason, but everything can serve a purpose, unquote. It was pure gold. And as you know, Kathy, that came from the episode with Jared M. called Life Can Change in the Blink of an Eye. And I thought that quote was uh, pure gold as well, Kathy. She said, I was laid off from my job in July. It was unexpected by ended up being, but I ended up being less of a blow because they paid me six months salary and they are covering my benefits until January of 2021. It was a little scary since I'd been at the same job for 15 years, man, I can imagine Kathy. She said, I was lucky enough to get a new job right away. And my new boss has 22 years of sobriety. It's wonderful to be able to work with somebody that speaks the same language and is a great mentor. Thank you so much, John, for your service. I appreciate you. Be safe and well, best, Kathy. Well, Kathy, I appreciate you also, and I hope that you are safe and well, you and your family, and I'm glad things turned out for you. All right, everybody, that was the end, or that is the end of this particular here episode, and I will most likely be back next week. As you know, I take this week by week, just like we take it a day at a time in sobriety. Keep coming back. It works if you work it, and I will see you next week hopefully. God bless you. And if anybody has any questions, make sure to reach out to me at john, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com. Always love hearing from you guys.